Cool, guys, thanks so much to everyone who's um, contributed and um, already signed up to come and be part of the packing for food in a bag behind a tree on a mountain for a day. Not quite sure how the whole thing fits together, but really are so, so excited. We've had um, you know, more than half of the slots already for the Saturday have filled up. And so if you still want to be involved, please do get hold of us and let us know if you'd like to be involved in packing on the Saturday. Uh, we, yeah, we're super, super excited. You can get hold of Cindy about that or Maggie. So this morning... Like Duff said, we're preaching through Habakkuk, which is our, our new, uh, we give them a different name every week. And this week, I'd like to look at things a little bit differently. Obviously, we've kind of looked at them from so many different angles. And our text this morning is Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 2. We're actually going to look at three separate texts, but that's our first text. So while you're turning there in your Bibles, there are some things in the world, right, that I wish I didn't know. You know, there's some things that if you, if you don't know about them, the world is so much more peaceful and so much more amazing. But as soon as you know about it, you have the knowledge about this thing, it begins, it affects the way that you live your life going forward. Let me give you an example. We used to live in Durban and I used to be a surfer, right, back in the day. Um, and one of the things about surfing is when you're sitting at backline, you'll be sitting on your board, you'll be having the most amazing day. And then some, something brushes against your foot. And this thought pops into your head, shock. And the moment that thought pump drops into your head, it's over. There's nothing you can do about it because you start visualizing all the movies where the camera's underneath the board and I look like a seal now. And, I'm, and what you have to do is just lie on your board, go to the beach and go sit, you know, get, get back to the beach and just sit there until you forget about it. The knowledge is incredibly unhelpful. One of the other things that's also been unhelpful for me in my life, I worked at a stage in my life at a fairly popular family food chain restaurant, which will remain nameless. And they have a cheese sauce that everybody loves to put all over their stuff. And I used to love that cheese sauce as well until I, would, until I worked there. And then I'd arrive in the morning and one of my jobs was to scrape the skin off the cheese sauce in the morning and throw that in the bin so that we could use that cheese sauce for people in the day. Every time I go to that restaurant now, I know there's someone at the back who just scraped the skin off that cheese sauce. I don't, I don't try the, the cheese sauce, the mushroom sauce. In fact, we don't eat there much anymore at all. And maybe on a more serious thing, um, I mean, even if you look at this uh, initiative we're doing at the moment, food in a bag for a day, I don't really want to see people, to be a bit dead honest with you, I don't want to see people in need of the robots because it has an impact on my life. I look at them and I'm like, I don't, now what am I supposed to do? Like, we live in Johannesburg, I've got a card. Like, I want to say to the guy, do you have Zapper? Can I tap for some money? Like, I don't have cash. And then I'm like looking around my car and I see, an, like, I'm hoping there's an old orange lying there or just something. I, I would love to help. But unfortunately, because of that thing that I see, I know now, um, it affects my world. Even in marriages, one of the things we see is, um, we often hear this from, not often, but we hear this from people sometimes that couples become too familiar over time. And so what they do is they've seen too much of each other. And so they say the magic is gone. And so now all of a sudden, it's something which was so exciting and so awesome in the beginning now has become a bit mundane and a bit flat. And Habakkuk, 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 all that stuff, he talks about this a little bit in, in chapter 1 verse 2. He says, O Lord, how long shall I cry and you will not hear? 
even cry out to you, violence, and you will not save? Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? And the, the, the thing in, he's saying here is like, Lord, why do I have to see this stuff? Why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? It would just be so much easier in life if I couldn't see this stuff. If I just couldn't see it. And I could just go about my life and just, everybody's a nice person. Everybody's in a good place. Um, there are no sharks in the sea except where they should be, but not where I am. Like everything is just perfect in the world. I don't want to see it. Um, life is so much easier if I can't see it. I remember a comedian saying this. He's like, he said, if he had a choice, he would much rather get shot than get stabbed. Like if he had a, if he had a choice, because he's like, if you get stabbed, you are there the whole time, right? It happens <laughs> up close. You see the knife, the guy's close to you. Here comes this knife. You're like, ah, it's, Whereas if you get shot, you just walk in, oh, I got shot. I didn't see it coming. It was way more comfortable. It was, I didn't have all the panic that went with it and all the issues around it. But here's the question, right? When Habakkuk's asking, Lord, why do you show me iniquity and cause me to see trouble? And I think it's dangerous for us to come to the conclusion that the reason we see these things, and sometimes we can come to odd conclusions. We can think it's because God doesn't care. We can think it's because God's not present. Or we can think it's because God's not powerful. But God allows us to see these things, friends. And this is a big thought. On purpose. Specifically on purpose. God shows us these things. This iniquity, which is sin, and trouble on two fronts. He shows them, first of all, He shows it in our hearts. He shows us what's going on in here. And then He shows us iniquity and trouble in the world. And the thing is, if we don't learn to deal with actually seeing it, because part of maturity as a person and as a Christian is we begin to see more and more of life. And as I begin to see more and more of life, I have to respond to what I see. There's something I've got to do about it. So what, how do I respond? When I look on the inside and I realize over time, maybe I'm not that amazing person that I thought I was. Maybe I'm not that altruistic person that lives for everyone else. I start to see selfishness and greed and anger and those things on the inside. When I start to see that, I think sometimes some of us deny I just deny it, go, go possum, stick my head in the sand. Not me, really. Um, others of us maybe accept it and we go, well, I'm a, I'm a bad person and we just give up. Others of us justify, well, you know what, like, I'm not as bad as that guy. You know, like, for me, oh, a little bit of this and that, but other people worse than myself. Or others of us give into self-loathing and actually we begin to hate ourselves or we begin to look at our hearts and we're like, I'm, I'm just going to withdraw. When we look at sin in the world or we look at trouble in the world and I look at things that are not going well out there, it also can have an impact on me. And I, I don't think we often process this because I think often our reaction to when I see things are the way they shouldn't be, like um, bad relationships or uh, abuse or um, just whatever the situation, political issues that we just don't want to hear about anymore, right? Because we've heard so much about it. I, I do respond to it, but I don't know if I always process my response. So sometimes I get offended with it and I get my nose out of joint and so I withdraw and I go into my little island and I'm, I'm going to live for me and I'm going to just get on with things. I can think that I'm superior to everybody else. I look at all these other idiots in the world who are going on about it. Fortunately, I've seen Facebook and I've read the conspiracy theory so I know what's going on. And we can get to a place where we say stuff like, I just want to love Jesus. And I don't want to see anything. I'm so sick of the bad news and the controversy, all the rubbish that the media spouts every single day. 
And this is exactly the place that Habakkuk's in because he comes and he goes, God, why? Why do you put all this stuff in front of my eyes? I'm sick of seeing it. And God allows us to see it for the two reasons. First thing, to see it in ourselves. In Romans 7, 18, Paul writes, I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. And friends, the reason God points stuff out inside of us is so that we remain humble. It's so that we remain submissive to Him in the hour of trouble. And it makes us value grace and salvation so much more. We've been looking at grace this last week in our devotionals. Like, when I see how broken I am, and I see the mess on the inside, and I'm not denying it, I look it full in the face, and I look at my mess, and then I realize Jesus is looking at me, and He's not turning away. And He's not hating, and He's not disgusted, and He's not any of that. He looks and He goes... Come to me, all you who are weak and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. It's so incredible. It just reminds me of how amazing grace is. And it reminds me how amazing I am not. And it puts the balance back in the world. God allows us to see these things on purpose. And what about when I see it in others? I see it in the world around me. I see iniquity and trouble in the world around me. Well, I think God shows us that stuff because it shows us who we might have been ourselves. And it reminds us that sin is wicked. And that... We should learn to hate sin and not indulge in it ourselves. It makes us admire the grace of God when He saves other people, right? And it makes us more earnest about going after seeing other people come to relationship with God to save them because we know the truth and we've experienced this peace and freedom. And when I see it in others, it's not to withdraw from them, but rather to say, I have an answer. Not me, but Jesus who gave me this answer. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, said this, Ah, my brethren, he was from old school, that's why he spoke like that. Ah, my brethren, we need to know more of the evil of men to make us more earnest in seeking their salvation. For if there be anything in which the church is lacking more than any other, it is in the matter of earnestness. And until I understand the true fallenness of the world, until I understand the true desperation of the human situation, I'm not going to honestly care enough to be able to reach out. If I think everything's just fine and I've got my head in the sand and I can't see, right? There's no iniquity in front of my eyes. There's no trouble in front of my eyes. Honestly, I just go ostrich, stick my head in the sand and pretend the whole world's okay. And God's called us to be an answer. He hasn't called us to be ostrich, right? So the first, that's the first thing. Why do you let me see this God? So the second point this morning is, okay, so God allows it. That's why he allows it. Well, what do I do about that? How do I respond now? Because... I can see it. I see it in myself and I see it in God. How should I respond? Habakkuk says this in Habakkuk chapter 2 verse 1. I will stand my watch and set myself on the rampart, which is the top of the wall. You know the, in all the movies where the archers hide and they shoot between? The rampart. I will set myself on the rampart. I will watch to see what he will say to me and what I will answer when I am corrected. Here's the big way that... Um, Habakkuk responds to God. I found this so challenging this week when I was looking at this. When Habakkuk asks God a question, he's not asking God a question accusingly. Now, there's a, what, I, what do I mean by that? You can ask a question to get your point across, not looking for an answer. But he's asking God a question, expecting to be corrected because he knows that He's feeling a specific way. He's frustrated and whatever, but he knows that his response is not right. So he's going to God and saying, Lord, I will watch and wait until you speak to me. I'm not coming to prove my point. I'm coming to receive an answer. 
He anticipated an answer from God. He was willing to watch and wait. Often when we question God, we don't expect God to answer. Right? I don't, you know, we just ask God a question because we're trying to vent. Other times, we expect God to answer 100%, but we demand that He answer, and He answers according to our schedule, the way we see it, our worldview. Like, God, within these confines, you know, uh, we've spoken about this before, where we say to God, Lord, this is the plan for my life. This is where I'm going. This is what I'd like to do. Within the boundaries of all the stuff that I'd like for my life, have your way. That's not asking God to have His way. A guy called F.B. Mayer, sorry, I'm quoting all these guys, but there were some awesome quotes. He said this, How often God's answers come and find us gone. We have waited for a while, and thinking there was no answer, we have gone our way. But as we turn the first corner, the post comes in. It is not enough to direct your prayer to God. Look up and look out until the blessing comes down on your head. It's a profound um, thought that if the question is big enough to ask, and I'm man enough to ask it, then I should be humble enough to wait to hear the answer to that question. And this is the thing, God's, Habakkuk's attitude was right because he expected to hear from God, but he also expected God to correct him. From this we see that Habakkuk didn't ask God the question because he thought God was wrong and God had to now explain himself to Habakkuk. No, not at all. In Psalm 139, David writes, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And it's this humility of So God, I see all this stuff going on. I see it in me and I see it in the world around me. Teach me, God. Show me your ways. Show me what you see, Lord. Correct me. Correct my response to the world, Lord, that I can respond the way that you would respond to the world. Because you are showing me this stuff for a reason. It's not because you are powerless. It's not because you are ignorant or you are, you know, on another planet or on holiday or busy. So that's, that was Habakkuk's response. God, I don't understand what you're doing, but I know that you are right in all things. Please speak to me and correct me. And then thirdly, he comes and he's, his question is, well, what is the outcome? And this is the thing. When we look at Habakkuk, he has the stuff in front of him. Then he goes to God with a correct response. What is the outcome of that response that Habakkuk has? In Habakkuk chapter 3, verse 17, it says, Though the fig tree does not blood and the, bud, And there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, and there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer, and He enables me to tread on the heights. And what's so profound here is the response is Habakkuk realizes that God's majesty and His power is not diminished because of the trials that we are experiencing. See, because when I've allowed God to speak to me and God to correct me, all of a sudden I'm not looking from like bottom up, trying to see through stuff. I've got this top-down view of what God is doing. And I realize His power. I realize His majesty. I think, I don't know if you've ever asked this question. If God is so great and powerful, how come I'm going through this? You know, how come this stuff is happening in the world at the moment and the stuff around me? But Habakkuk knew that this is the wrong question and the wrong attitude. He says, I know you are strong and mighty. And though I am in a desolate circumstance, you are in control. I will praise you. No, even more, I'll rejoice in you, Lord. And so there's three things. And I'd like to end with this. 
these three things that he finds in God because of his response to allow God to speak to him. The first response is he finds joy. He says, rejoice in the Lord. I will joy in the God of my salvation. I think one of the things we don't always realize and we don't always take stock of is, where is my joy locked up? Because if I have got my joy locked up in things that can change and things that can shift, then I'm going to be either very joyful or very not joyful. And my life can look like a bit of a yo-yo. You see, he, all the things that Habakkuk lists there that could be sources of joy to him. He did, what does he say? The fig tree, the crop, you know, the fruit of his labor, you know, of, of a farmer. So maybe the, the work of our hands, going to my job. Am I trying to find joy in my job? Like I'm just going to, that's going to be the source of my joy. Yeah, but things can change. And sometimes there's no joy to be found there. Or in the vines, or in the fields, or in the flock. He mentions all these things. All those things have changed in Israel at the time because Israel's about to go through a really rough patch. And Israel was in a rough patch at the time. All of that stuff changed, yet God himself didn't change. He could still really rejoice in the Lord because God doesn't change. And so friends, where is my joy? So he, he has this joy shift from circumstance to God. And that is, an, that is a river that never dries up. It's a river that's always true. Secondly, he can not only find joy, but he can find strength. He says, the Lord my God is my strength. And he can declare this. But he can only say this because he's saying that his strength isn't in the vine or the fig tree, all this kind of stuff, only in the Lord God. There's this little thought. What we praise, just think about this. What we praise is often the thing that I go to for my strength, right? So if by my words or life or heart, if I live to praise my own achievements and resources, right? What I've done well, if, that's the, if I'm looking for praise for the things that I've achieved, that's where my strength is going to lie. And while people are going, well done, John, you're killing it, you're kicking ass, you're changing the world, you're doing, wow, I feel like Superman. But then it goes like crickets. Or I hear from the other people, because remember, church is made up of all kinds of people, and the world is made up of all kinds of people. There's sheep and goats, saber-toothed sheep, it's, it's, it's incredibly complex. And so I, I take a bite from someone, now all of a sudden, I, no one's telling me about my achievements. No one's blowing smoke up my butt and telling me how awesome I am. Now all of a sudden, I feel like I've got no strength. And it feels like my heart's like water. And I'm just running around and I can go and load my wife sometimes with it to be vulnerable. I'm sometimes like, Cindy, tell me I'm amazing. Stroke my head, you know. It's Father's Day today. Just a little bit of puffing up my ego, you know. My strength. What about... If it's a person, another person, that I look to for my strength instead of Jesus. And so I'm looking to this person. While that person is strong and that person's leading well in whatever sphere that is. It could be a hero I'm looking up to in business. It could be a person in my family. Whatever it is. But I'm looking up to a person. When that person lets me down, I lose my strength and it falls apart. I think we demonstrate. If you want to know, is God truly my strength? Right? is do I live a life that praises Him above all things? Because the, the one that I praise is the one that I draw strength from. The reason I praise Him is because I draw strength from Him. And so what are we praising? And Habakkuk's just like, I can't praise any of this stuff. The king's an idiot. The Babylonians are coming. The trees are, all, the trees are withering. Like there's nothing praiseworthy here but God Himself. And He's able to draw strength from that. And then lastly, He finds sure footing and just, for a second, I'd like to talk to the dads on, about this thing. 
as a dad. Sometimes as a dad leading a family, as a father leading a family, we're so desperate for sure footing. We're desperate to have good answers for our wife, for our kids, especially in moments like this. I mean, it's not specifically now, but in the time we're going through at the moment, there are so many questions with regards to the future, with regards to provision, with regards to emotions. I live in a house with three girls, right? And there are moments in this house where I don't have any answers other than to try to find something to hide under and just be very quiet until all the screaming and the whatever stops. <laughs> not the screaming, sorry. I've got Cindy looking at me like wanting to stab me. But not the screaming, just all the issues and all the stuff. Like I don't have answers for everything. I'm not, I'm not like this answer dispenser guy. And I'm just like, I want to be able to provide leadership. I want to be able to provide, go forward for my family. But I feel like, like I want to turn around to the family and go, but guys, if you had to see under my feet, I don't feel like I'm standing strong. You're leaning on me and I'm like the leaning tower of Pisa, but it's a little bit more angular than the one on the photo, you know? And what Habakkuk says here, he says about God, he says, if I'm able to go to God and allow him to speak to me, when I see all the iniquities and troubles, I don't respond to them myself, but I go to God and allow him to correct me and speak to me. And I look in his word and I hear what he says about these things and I grow in that. All of a sudden, I have sure footing. He will make my feet like a deer's feet. Habakkuk thought of the deer running on the high hills, never losing a step and never falling. When Cindy and I were in Israel a few years ago, the animal that Habakkuk's talking about here is an animal called a Nubian ibex. Right? Go Google it. It's got these monstrous horns, huge horns, that loop back and almost touch its back. And the horns weigh, like you can't believe how much, the, the, I don't know exactly how much they weigh, but they, they weigh a lot. And the animal's incredibly unbalanced because it's got its body, but then its head is carrying these massive heavy horns as well. Yet, we watch these things go up like sheer cliff faces. They run up them like I would run up the hill. Not even up a hill, like I would run down a flat road. They just... And that's what Habakkuk's saying. He's saying, God makes my feet like this. I might be carrying some heavy stuff. Some stuff might be weighing on my mind. Some stuff might be weighing on my circumstance. But when I go to God, He makes... I might be carrying a chair, but under my feet... It's secure. It's sure. I'm able to run up the hill. I'm able to run up whatever the circumstances and get through it. God will deal with my mind and time, but he makes me sure under my feet. Um, and so God will set my steps. That will set my steps firmly and he will give me the way forward. As I trust in him, he will not allow me to slip or fall. And I will end up doing more than just plodding along, friends. I will laugh at the tough spaces and the iniquities and troubles. And I will move through them like a ninja because that's what God's called us to be able to do, right? He's called us to be his people. And that's the shift that we see over the life of Habakkuk. He starts looking at these issues in himself and in the nation around him, the mess. He's like, Lord, I, I just, how? And he goes to stand on the walls and he's, Lord, I'm going to wait until you give me an answer. Now, friends, I think the waiting, the second point we spoke about today is the hardest thing. Oh, God, I'm not going to just ask you the question, uh, popped an email because everything's instant nowadays, didn't get an answer, oh, pfft, I'll go do it myself. Because friends, the moment I turn and I go and do it myself, there's no joy, there's no strength, and my feet are slippery underneath, well, it's slippery underneath my feet. Can I pray for us? And then I'm going to bounce things back to Stu. Thank you so much for joining us. You might be asking yourself the question, how can I take this further? Firstly, 
you can send us your contact details to cindy at centerchurch.co.za where we can include you in our online connect groups and you can receive our daily devotional. Secondly, you can hop on our website where you can access previous sermons and find out more about who we are at Center Church. Thirdly, if you consider yourself as part of Center Church, we want to thank you so much for your ongoing financial partnership. The banking details are on the website. Thank you so much for joining us and hope you have an amazing Sunday.